Today on the Rickshaw Live podcast, I'm talking to Jeff Sweeney, the admiral of the ground crew that put Ricky and Rhoda on their wheels for their rollarounds. The Rickshaw Live is a pedal-powered live performance soundstage that specializes in launching close contact between music makers and a crowd, sometimes from a street, plaza, or sidewalk, or here from the Podmosphere, where we chat with the makers. Come join us as we roll with it. Hello, Jeff Sweeney. Well, hello, Mr. Tim. How are you? I'm doing well. How are things out there in cold and hopefully sunny Colorado? Well, we actually have a little more sun today. Um, We actually are above the freezing mark uh, for the first time in about six days. And over the weekend, uh, I think it was on either Saturday or Sunday, our high was three degrees and the low was 15 below. Not the kind of weather we want to roll around in rickshaws, uh, nor would we expect musicians to be able to move their fingers very well in that kind of weather, or their tongues or their lips, for that matter. Jeff, it, it, uh, anything at all, that's true. Probably um, people may not know that you were behind those ground uh, launches and kind of... Uh, Oh, I mean, every misadventure that could happen, it seemed like it landed in your lap and uh, you you dealt with them all without missing a step. And so, so you know, it kind of goes way back, though, with uh, the Rickshaw Live. Um, and, you know, I, I think I, I have a session where I talked about, actually on the Yucca Dune website, where I talked about Heidi and I uh kind of tumbling to this idea of putting players in a rickshaw and right in front of us, Matt Smiley and Kelsey Sheba sat down and made the mistake of encouraging that idea and that thinking and away we went. And so probably the next thing that happened after I brashly went out and bought the URL, the rickshawlive.com and printed some not so great color uh, business cards was I probably called you and said I have a mission for you. Uh, I I think I, I don't know what led up to that, um, other than than we were introduced by by Miss Natalie, and then it kind of grew from there. And the next telephone call was, um, so are you available to maybe go to Valentine, Nebraska? Um. Okay, what's in Valentine? He said, well, there's this little three-wheeled thing that's up there. It's kind of in rough shape, and I haven't seen it in like 600 years. So true. So I don't know what you're going to see when you get there, but it's in a storage unit, and can you go get it and bring it down here? This could have been the end of the idea, really. I mean, it, if I mean, so many things right there at that juncture could have gone south. Um, not the least of which is getting up there and finding that thing, her, not that thing, her, finding her in worse shape than we did. But, uh, you know, little Ricky, she was in a, in a, as good a shape as you can expect, given her lineage and her age and her neglect, uh, my, my neglect of her. And I'll be darned if, uh, you didn't call me and say, I've got her over here. 
come take a look. That's exactly right. We, uh, I, I think I actually had to call you from, from Valentine and say, um, I'm going to have to dismantle some parts and put it in the truck because it's not going to be on the trailer and make the trip. So we're going to have to do a little dismantle even before we get there. And then a couple of days later, you showed up in my front yard and we had a tricycle set up that, that had seen some better days. I would say that would be the best way to put it. I have some pictures of that, which I will put on the website in the, the history of the rickshaw live section when I get that together. But yeah, it, uh, I really do remember walking around little Ricky and I don't know, I guess I, I still had a vision for where I was going, but her condition was plowing squarely into the middle of my vision, making me feel a little discouraged, but, but there she was. And, uh, you brought her in for a landing and she landed in Colorado. Of course, the, the uh, conversation I had with John kind of picks it up from there where um, Ricky had to go through some serious reconstruction and and get her ready to become a soundstage. And so she got to that point and then it was time to, to debut the show. And um, I remember we had... Uh, I, do you remember Robin? Robin uh, worked for me back then, and I remember the very first really public show, I believe, had Matt Carroll uh, on keys, um, and I think um, Dave Betcher on bass. And I believe we started in the parking lot of the old um, Perkins in downtown Old Town Fort Collins, and what I learned fairly quickly, I, I had put Robin on as captain. What I learned fairly quickly is that I had some serious drivetrain challenges, just given what it would take to propel Ricky fully loaded with just two players. And uh, boy, that's where the—that's where the really serious work began. Well, and and that is. Uh, shortly thereafter, because you were loading her onto a little aluminum trailer and kind of moving her back and forth between storage and home. And it wasn't long after that where you and I, as we sat down and visited one evening, probably at Ace Gillette, said, I think we need more of a home for, for Ricky and this whole project. And I went on a mission and we we came up with the with the rolling house on wheels for Ricky and Rhoda. It was big enough to actually house both. Um, and it has just progressively taken another step and another step. Um, at the beginning there, you said that um, I was the admiral. I really felt like I was more of a tugboat captain that was pushing a whole big machine around that I didn't really know a whole lot about other than my job was to make sure it still made it in the channel. We didn't run aground anywhere. You know, the thing about Ricky, as much as I love that little rig, she was just, she had some reliability issues. And, and you know, really the reliability issues did not have much to do with the sound system, which was pretty simple. I think we had a couple of Euro voice, you know, two-way speakers running about mm -hmm. 150 watts each and, 
and really just uh, the Alesis keyboard that Matt had donated to the effort. I think I had acquired the stand-up Dean bass at that point, which Matt helped us pick out. Yep. And, um, and that was it. And of course, there was a lot of stuff under the deck in terms of the RV battery and the marine inverter and the breakers that, that ran the, the juice on that. And it had, you know, the hue lighting for the light show and an iPad to listen to the sound and change the light. So it had that stuff. But that, and that stuff was really, that was not a problem. It was, it was the mechanical aspects of Ricky that just proved so challenging. And I'm sure you have many stories to tell about that. Uh, the wiggles, the, the parts when you looked at the front end and the, and the front steer tire, um, wobbled sort of like um uh, a flat tire it's only flat on one side well it only wiggled but it did back and forth um the foundation itself was a good idea it just did not have the structural integrity so there were many times we would jump a chain um off of that little cog and i would crawl underneath it on the back even after we had the big trailer and tried to play bike mechanic on the side. Um, yeah, we had, we had a couple of, a couple of issues as once we did get it on the ground and rolling, my job was kind of a, a safety coordinator, make sure that again, the tugboat operator that we got down the channel and then back over and back loaded and then back home. And yeah, there were, there were an issue a time or two, cold weather, rain, um, I, I'm not sure we had a snow time, but that, that it was, it was cold enough should have been one day. You know, I, I don't remember the sequence of events, um, that we went through. I mean, I remember the sequence, the timing and separation. I don't recall. I, I, I sort of remember now, I don't remember if we completely destroyed the original fork on Ricky before I went to a mountain fork but I remember we actually got to a mountain fork and then I added a, an e-hub for some additional uh, help for the captain in pedaling, which was a big step forward. But we learned a lesson with the e-hub in terms of how the e-hub has to be anchored to the, uh, to the fork. And uh, I remember the day when I learned that lesson because I was testing it at John's house and I kind of juiced the e-hub and the e-hub pretty much just folded and wrapped the front fork into the ground. It just, it uh -huh. had tons of torque, but it wasn't put together quite the way it needed to be. So we did that. And, uh, you know, that's kind of where we stopped with helping the captains with Ricky. The e-hub was pretty powerful once we had it right. And, you know, particularly on that incline coming up college, uh, to the south where, where you know your uh, your load can start to really start to wear on you as the captain it's it's gradual but it's it's up and having that e-hub really helped quite a bit but then of yes, course we i don't know were you there the day that we had the misadventure with the rear wheel um was that was that the day that you went around the corner and hit the drainage on the street and had an issue there and about bucked everybody off? No, but now that sounds like another story altogether. <laughs> the occasion when we folded the rear wheel 
was when Heidi, who had never actually pedaled it, at the end of a show, and I think uh, Robin was there and Elise was there and probably some of our jazz players were there, Heidi said, hey, Dad, do you mind if I try pedaling it? And I was like, yeah, sure, fine. So she gets you know on the saddle, and we're, we're curbside. And uh, I think Robin and Elise were in the carriage, and Heidi started pedaling away from the curb with a slight slope, you know, from the crown of the street toward the curb. And as she made the low-speed turn, really nothing to write home about in terms of stresses, one of the rear wheels just folded. And, and of course, that was the end of the rear drive section of Ricky because the axle and the hubs were custom-made in India and were probably a one-off, and there was no way to repair that problem, which kind of launched us um, on... A, a discovery which led to the discovery of Main Street pedicabs. Um, we put a Main Street pedicab axle and hubs on Ricky. They fit. Uh, required some re-engineering of Ricky's carriage a bit, but it worked. And in the process, we met we met Steve Meyer at Main Street pedicabs, and yep. we got a look at some other chassis. And uh, boy, that's then things got interesting. The the dream. The dream um, expanded uh, exponentially the day that uh, uh, I went down with you and we went to go look down there, to say the least, when we saw them hanging underneath in the basement on all the parts and pieces, and your brain was running about 600 miles an hour, uh, probably with as much torque as the e-hub, and trying to figure out how everything was going to fit. So, yes, it was... Uh, it was uh, pretty amazing. And to hear you say that that was a custom axle, um, custom is probably, uh, a real strong use of that word because it was not a one-off. It was literally made just to work and they beat a hub with a, with a chain drive on it so that they could just get around. It was definitely a product of necessity for someone to put that together yeah yeah it's uh user serviceable was not in that manual at all <laughs> that is very i'm not sure there was a manual at all for any of that the thing that we did next after we kind of made the discovery and i don't remember the exact sequence i i know for a time when i was dreaming about rhoda that i thought i would have rhoda built from the ground up including the chassis from scratch. Um, and that always, you know, seemed problematic to me just because I know how complicated the loading is on a bicycle frame. And I just felt like, boy, if somebody's going to build that from scratch, they really need to know what they're doing. And I, I just wasn't sure I was ever going to find a solution for that. And then, of course, we found Steve Meyer and Main Street Pedicabs, and we knew then that, well, they know how to build these things to carry a load. So... So that was helpful. But the next thing then was the dimension issues of the stage. And, um, you know, Steve's uh, what he called pedal truck chassis really was, you know, kind of like pre-wired at a certain dimension. And, you know, I, I thought with the elevation in the sub deck, 
giving us a little bit of forward offset that probably a six foot stage length and then of about four feet inside the wheel, uh, the wheels would be about as much as we could get on there and make it balanced. And so that's what I started thinking. And then the question came, well, can who can get in four by six feet of space to play? How many and with what instruments? And so that led to a really fun experiment that I have video up on uh, the YouTube of uh, the Rickshaw Live where uh, I told John I needed a four by six foot box and we were gonna see if we could stick some players and some instruments in it. And, and of course he built it out of, uh, you know, I think they were two by twos, um, two by two posts, four posts, and uh, you know, probably four two by twos holding the posts up. And um, we put the keyboard in there and we put the stick bass and the drum kit. And then we stuck some live players in there. And uh, I, uh, so, so that particular day when I heard you talking to John about that, when I came around the corner just before all of that was happening, it looked like you had a little pen to hold a couple of goats in that probably <laughs> wasn't going to hold up very well. That's what that four by six little fenced in piece of plywood on the ground looked like it was it was uh i just had to shake my head and i thought well here we go you know i i called matt and i said matt we have this experiment we need some players to see if see what we can make happen in a four by six foot simulation of a stage and at that point i had already got the behringer xr 18 and i had the generator and i had the turbo sound speakers the iq8s uh, I had it, I'd all, I'd done the bench testing on it. I could mix it from the iPad. And so we just set that up uh, literally in the dirt of John's backyard. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, it was dark. And, um, and Chris Hewitt was on the drums and Matt Smiley was on the stick bass. And Elise Wonder was on a headset mic in the keys And, um, I just said, well, guys start playing. I'm going to see how this sounds. I want to see if your sound can be heard over the generator. Um, I want to see if you have enough space in that box to make music and away they went. And, uh, I don't know if you've seen the video segment that I put on there, but it's pretty charming. Um, I can hear you talking to John in the background and, um, you've got like a, maybe a flashlight you're shining on him as I'm walking around with the iPhone and, and it was, I mean, you know, that could have been the end of it. It really could have been the end of it. And we would have just had that video to take home and say, well, that was fun. But really, it wasn't the end of it. It was the beginning of it. And it was uh, such an interesting thing. Well, and being able to, as we stood there, having the little Honda generator and wondering how loud that would be, knowing that they were fairly quiet at being an inverter and what we would be able to do. It was absolutely amazing. And we had such a box to play in that they were doing that logistically, we didn't know if they would be able to end up standing there and it would work. A, then B, how is it going to sound? And are they going to be able to even hear each other? And all of that was almost flawless. And all three of them were just about giddy besides themselves that they're playing in a, and I'm going to call it a goat box. They were playing in a goat box in a backyard 
in a driveway with power and sound and all of them saying this on the move is going to be unbelievable. You know, the thing that I remember and I kind of had a, a flash forward to another aspect of it was as I was walking around them with the iPhone, I uh, would like put it up really close to like Elise's fingers when she was playing and I'd put it up to, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Chris's sticks on the drums and, and Matt on the strings. And what was so interesting that I learned when looking back at the recording is how inside the sound field, um, it, there is no music. It's uh, clicks and taps and, and little noises. Um, and and it's, it's so interesting because it's such a different impression of how the music is being made that you wouldn't, you wouldn't see unless you're right there. The flash forward I had was after we had Rhoda on the road, um, and I we would, let's say, park at that corner of, uh, I guess it must have been college and, and um, Linden or somewhere over there. And mm -hmm. people, people would come out and walk around Rhoda while the players were playing. And people would get really close, you know, and they would, they'd be close enough to really see how the makers make the music. And I, I would watch Matt smiling and Kelsey smiling. And I, I, I thought it was such an interesting two-way thing that I was seeing where people were appreciating the music making in a way that they didn't from the usual distant audience location. And the musicians were appreciating the fans being so close and appreciative too. And it, it kind of really stuck with me. And it's something that the Rickshaw Live really can do that's very difficult to do, except for maybe a strolling minstrel. And and with that, I even got to be able to see it not being a player or on that in that realm, but walking as well as captaining a couple of times that I did when we were in the in the square at the uh, Blue Agave. And we would stop there where kids would come up and people would come out to be able to listen. And they got a firsthand up close program, literally in your face, being able to sit and watch them. I worried because I thought people would try to help the pianist play because they were literally hands on right there. And yet we had the power that on one particular Friday evening, um, I got stopped by the police department because they were having reports from two and three blocks away because the little Behringer system and those speakers were literally rocking it. And I had a sergeant that came up and said, if you were a local brick and mortar establishment, I would have to shut you down because you're rattling the windows and that's against the ordinances. And he said, but you kind of you you kind of in a new deal here, so this please turn it down for me. And we had many other conversations over the course of time, and it was phenomenal. But we had something that people could come up close to, and yet we could put out the sound that at the fat tire craziness program we could be heard, literally blocks and blocks away, and they knew that there was some serious musical entertainment coming from around the corner. 
I will say that is one thing that is very impressive about the turbo sounds. I, and I didn't, I didn't really spend a lot of time looking for something else because I wanted the digital signal distribution that Behringer and TurboSound had on those Cat5 connections. But, but boy, I, I never, never was disappointed in the power that those speakers could put out or the clarity. And, you know, they're rated at 2.5 kW. So I mean, now I don't think we ever got close to that. You know, if you look at the no. set, on the settings on the back of the speakers, we might have been at half full range on the gain. Um, but I got to say, they can really rock it. And um, we never had any trouble broadcasting. No, not you. You could have, as we noticed on a number of occasions, when um, we would be uh, zipping down the edge of the street and you'd have a diesel truck come by and rump on it and fill us full of black smoke and we could outplay him. And there's probably not a boom box banging to banging in the back of anybody's car that's going to come anywhere close. If you hacked me off, I can turn it up and we can hear over whatever you got going on. You're right. We've got the juice there. Uh, I think you, as you and I talked a bit earlier, converting to a completely green battery pack system would be such a thrill to be able to take Rhoda indoors, you know, take her into the Moby or take her into the Pepsi Center um, and have a completely green show that is, you know, renewable and quiet and uh, just be so pleasing to go uh, with a system like that. So that's definitely on my radar screen for 2021. Well, and I think that's going to be just another step in this progression. The other part of that, that just came back to me as we were talking about people coming up close, there were many of these people that did not believe they were playing live on the road. They yeah. thought this was coming from a DJ program. We just had people sitting up there Yeah, and I could literally cut them off. We could have just the bass. We could have just the pianos. We could have just the voice. And then when they stopped, they were like, they're actually performing from the stage. <laughs> yep. Yep. They are wiggles, wobbles, bounces and all. No, that's the, that's the important thing we learned. Um, well, we just, we just learned that the pros that Matt would round up to be on that stage, they could play without interruption or, dis or distraction from the bumps, from the motion, and, you know, the, in the rig, the stage isn't moving fast, but there is, there is undulations in the stage, but it's, but it's moving and it's moving and the pros never miss a beat. Now, definitely we had some experience with some less experienced players and it, it is very apparently disruptive or rattling to them when, you know, you hit a pothole or something uh, because they will just stop. Uh, the pros don't even you didn't detect any change in their rhythm. Well, and with that, so we ended up having uh, Andrew come on with his sax and be able to play. And Andrew was, was saxophone, unless you're playing in the Pepsi Center, he can end up making it loud enough that you don't need to have him mic'd up anyway. But we have pros like him that were on that absolutely had a ball. And then we get into an alley and he would just rock it because just as John had stated when you visit with him, um, you get set up for a sound mic check, you're all done, and the guy comes back, and he might have to adjust something, 
that's it. This is this is we're we're changing sound stages and areas every two minutes. It's coming to a different program. Yeah. And probably one of the most impressive out of the pros versus some of the other ones were the two young kids that we had that got on that played. And I, I want to tell you what. I said, now this is going to rattle and roll and we'd kind of move it around and let them practice. And they were probably the most nervous and played and were so steady, even though we're rocking and rolling because they were so focused on playing, nothing else really mattered. And they were just on and roll. And it was, it was so much fun to watch the confidence over an hour moving show, watch them be able to do that. And then when we'd have new people come on, They'd be, they'd be like, Matt talked me into this and I don't know what the heck is going on here. You mean I'm actually sitting on this and I'm going to play? And so we'd crank it all up and get them ready to go. And they'd be like, oh, we can do this. And then blowing up to the whole um, fat tire brigade when we ended up having the, the uh, gorilla fanfare and those guys play, because I did get to captain part of that. And I want to tell you what, that was something that was unbelievable. Do you remember the band that came up? I think it was maybe one of our, it might've been the first year we had Rhoda and we had a, a band scheduled for Foco MX. That was a five piece band. And um, I'm blocking on their name. I've got to look it up. I I don't remember their name, but those are the ones that we, it was colder. Yeah. It was a little crummy. They were not happy. They were excited to play. And then all of a sudden they were not because it was cold. And we ended up parking underneath the awnings yes. uh, to be able to do that. And I literally sat through that whole thing parked because their drummer was shifting parts and pieces on Rhoda. And I literally kept him tied down so that we didn't lose parts and pieces sitting on the ground while they played over there. That was, that was probably the best music and the worst circumstances. And it turned out freaking awesome. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. We were under the awning. We had both rickshaws. We had their yep. female vocalist and their bass player in Ricky. And we had their uh, lead guitar guy and drums. And, um, what was he on a violin? He was on a fiddle, wasn't he? He had he had a fiddle, yeah. Yeah, in in Rhoda, and so we had we were under the awning, and we kind of offloaded a couple of them, and and we had a good crowd right there in Old Town Square gathered right around for that. There was there was um, there was fifty or sixty people standing around. They were dancing. They were having a ball. Um, it was uh, that was that was one of those nights where. I didn't get to really get in too involved because I was sitting on the ground making sure that our drummer didn't um, come off the back or blow parts and pieces off. But um, and every time we ended up having a gig and Rhoda went out, it was an adventure sometimes because you didn't know what was going to happen. That band was Nellie Pearl. I just pulled them yes, up. There we go. I'll put a link to them in there. I don't wonder what they're doing these days. I got to give them a call. They're on the list because I'm calling everybody that has played on the Rickshaw Live to find out what they have been doing and what they're going to do next. Well, I want to play. Like uh, I want to play a little bit of music that is a favorite of yours, Jeff, and I'll just play a little bit of it, and then you can talk about 
how it came to your attention and what else was going on in your formative years with music. That sounds like a plan. Nineteen seventy-four, Herbie Hancock called "Actual Proof." Actual proof. Well, one of the, one of the, uh, uh, I, I, I don't look like a jazz guy. Um, and when people found out that I was doing this, they said, "What is wrong with you?" Because here I am walking along the side of this rickshaw with jazz music playing and stuff. Most of the time, wearing my cowboy hat. So. Um, I got introduced to jazz and to big band, um, probably in junior high and high school. Um, one thing that Mr. Tim, you probably don't know. I actually sang in, um, a, a elementary school group that we were actually on TV in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We got to do a program down there. Wow. When I was in, in elementary school, I sang all through junior high and high school and, enjoyed doing that but i never got into the instruments to be able to play to do any of the bands i just never that just never even occurred to me but i've always liked that kind of music and we had a jazz band in high school and i was always there helping them do different things and so that kind of folded right over so between uh chuck mangione and listening to santana before santana was old like we are now um and the restaurants that I grew up cooking in and working in, we always had jazz music on in the background because that's just kind of was. And so when this all came about, it was not unfamiliar to me. And it was something that I could enjoy doing and being involved in. Yeah, we really were and are immersed in just premier musicians in, in Northern Colorado and not taking anything away from Denver or, or Boulder, but you know, the, the schools up there have just produced some incredible talent. Well, they, they have honed the talent. The talent came there preloaded. And uh, we just have had such a tremendous opportunity having those people on the stage. And really, you know, the, the objectives of the rickshaw live from the very beginning were to showcase the player. I mean, the, the fact Absolutely. that the stage is uh, moving and is compact and it creates a spectacle is about creating a spectacle for the players. Uh, that's really all it is. And and uh, we've had such a good time doing that. And, and we are going to do some more of that in 2021. 
with uh, Rhoda. Who knows, Ricky might even come out and join her big sister on occasion. And uh, we will be rolling with it, as we say, moving the music of Northern Colorado and wherever else we need to go. Well, and I'm I'm looking forward to it. The I heard a gentleman the other day that said, um, "You really, if you're going to make this uh, a viable business," and he was talking about just business general. He said, "You have to be everywhere." He said, "It's not the best product that usually ever makes it. It's the one that's got the most." Hey, here I am. This is what we're doing, and this is what's going on. And I have to tell you, R- Ricky, to begin with, Rhoda, as we have adjusted and done that. Uh, being literally the first person to ever get on Rhoda and move her at all with just a a chassis and being able to load her in, load her out. When we drove her around in the grass in the ditch, trying to see how it would do as we shifted gears and how smooth everything was, those are the things that have made this the, hello, here I am, and you really ought to pay attention because being on the sidewalk listening and watching what people said as a captain you don't get to see that very much you got to see some of that with the players but i got to interact with them not only the the police when they said we need to turn it down but the other people that were stopping saying where did that come from and what are you guys doing and lots of questions and just an absolute joy to see them stop what they're doing they're shopping downtown they're doing to stop and go yeah what is that and then to be able to take maybe 10 seconds as she's moving and create a little more excitement where they're taking pictures they're they're hashtagging they're doing that kind of stuff because nobody's ever seen anything like this and they were excited in many many instances yeah i agree i think uh the amount of smiles that I saw erupt completely unexpectedly on people walking down the street, contemplating their burdens. And then they would hear that music and they would kind of wonder where that music was coming from and it would get louder. And then they would locate it in the street coming towards them and going by them. And most people would just stop dead and really uh, kind of uh, in shock that it was happening and it sounded and it, it was so many senses that they were really not prepared for. And it would be a few seconds later that when it was, when all of the music and the, the vision was finding their receptors, then the smile would break out. And you know, the smile would break out. They would look at the person next to them who they'd just been arguing with and they'd both smile at each other and I would wager a lot of people forgot what they were fighting about right then. And then the little rickshaw was gone on down the street to do it again and again and and, and again. and And the motion was on. We ended up having one couple that as we made the turn, uh, in front of mugs to get onto the street, were just out walking. And I ended up walking either just in front of them or just behind them clear down to Linden. (laughs) <laughs> and I told them partway through, I mean, they're kind of snapping their fingers and their list. I said, if you guys keep walking like this, we're going to have to start charging your rent for being able to be this close all the time. They absolutely had a ball and it was random, unexpected. 
nothing that any of them or obviously us had planned. And yet we get to have a conversation for four blocks, five blocks going down through downtown Fort Collins. That was so uplifting and so much of a, this was a spark in personal development because you could stop kind of recharge and be able to go on. It was like an instant blast to your phone to be able to charge it back up. And then you were ready to go on and the smiles and the enjoyment, the clapping, those types of things. I don't know how to put a money thought process on that. Um, it's kind of like being able to feed people and you put a nice smile on their face because they've gotten a tummy full. They've got a good taste in their mouth and they're feeling good. That's kind of what the whole rickshaw idea has done as I've been able to work with it over the last, oh man, I don't even remember when I hauled Ricky down here, but it's been, it's been a while. It was the fall of 2014. It's been a, Holy it's moly. been a spell. Well, so, Jeff, yeah, I am, I am looking forward to some more of those, uh, those contagious outbreaks of smiling and, uh, you know what? I think probably people are well due for a dose of unscheduled joy as they're walking down the sidewalk. And it's my goal, get this crew together and we'll bring it to them. And I think that would be, I think between players and listeners, um, I think that's probably something that I can guarantee you would be 100% everybody would be up for. Let's do it. Let's do it in 2021, and uh, we'll throw some new tech on top of it to make it even more special, and uh, we will just be out there moving the music. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Tim. This has been a pleasure. Jeff Sweeney, thanks for all the hard work you have done to keep the rigs rolling and, and uh, keeping the emotional music on the move. We'll talk again soon. Thanks for joining the Rickshaw Live podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay on our trajectory. And until you hear us again, stay safe.